Episode 3, Ghost Girl I had a long scouting shift today. It appears that this building might be built like a loop, which would be a huge discovery, finally an insight into the architecture of this place. Not sure if it would help us get out, though, that information. My scouting team explored one of the unmapped corridors in the wing that was revealed when we knocked down a wall in what we thought was the side of the building. It took us a full day to knock down, too. Every once in a while, a team will take a break from regular activities and break down a wall that the mappers think will get us to a new area, or maybe even break us out. Like a vacation from work, except with more work. Yeah, never mind. We walked in what felt like a straight line for an hour and ended up back in the central hall. I wish someone would find a compass. It's so easy to get turned around after a few rooms. This place has everything, all jumbled together. Kitchens, bathrooms, even a library. But there never seems to be anything actually useful. Like power tools, or a landline phone with connection to the outside world, or anything. We don't even dream about cellular. We've got a pretty solid system figured out to explore the place. We also take turns cooking and stuff. There's plenty of food, at least at the moment. Makes me wonder how long people have been appearing here. The maps are quite extensive, but at the rate we're adding to them, it doesn't look like more than four, max six months progress with the group our size. Is this space really so recent? Or were the past inhabitants not organized enough to create maps? Feels off. Then again, we're not even 100% sure about today's date. We assume that the clock in the central area is running correctly, and we check with the new arrivals. We have a calendar up on the wall, but it only dates a couple months back. Today, I've got Taylor Addison's story. It's the 25th of January, 2022. I love the rain. I like how it sounds, how it clears the air, but mostly, I like the way it feels when it pours down in warm, fat drops. I love the thousand tiny impacts on my skin when I run through the woods, my feet kicking up mud that splatters across my legs. The rain gets in my eyes and soaks my hair, my shirt, my shoes, turning them all one shade darker like tuning the saturation and curves of a photograph. The first time I saw her was when it rained. I'd been living away from home for about three months. I moved to Wales to study for a bachelor's degree in physics, stayed with a nice family outside of Cardiff. I would help out around the house, do chores on the farm, that kind of thing, in exchange for room and board. It was tough work, but satisfying. There was a small forest nearby, more of a park, really. I knew it like the back of my hand after a few weeks. Sometimes, 
I'd go there and then turn the other way, run through the fields, along the roads rolling over hills filled with grazing sheep. On the rare occasions the sun poked out from between the clouds, it made the landscape glow. But more than that luminescence, something about the soothing, unstoppable pressure of the rain made me jump from my running shoes. After the first few rainstorms, my host family would sometimes have a warm cup of tea or soup ready for me after I got out of the shower. I found myself thinking about them a lot recently. The warm tea, the way they included me in their discussions, even arguments, and their teasing when I didn't understand a word or phrase. I feel like they genuinely thought of me as part of the family during my stay. Three days after landing in Cardiff, I was dragged along to a family gathering. Still battling the fog of jet lag, I gave my best at a doomed attempt to cram the names of the 20-plus attendants into my memory. Turns out my host family had a tradition of celebrating their sons, an aunt's, and a cousin's birthdays, all in the month of August, on the same day together with the entire extended family. After dinner, gifts were handed out and candles lit. First the aunt, then the cousin, then the son. I was fighting to keep my eyes open when my host mother, Lynn, turned and handed me a small gift box. Twenty-plus smiling faces sang me happy birthday. Lynn laughed at the shocked look on my face. We heard your birthday was also in August, she said. My birthday happened to be a few days later. I hadn't brought it up, thinking to let it pass by that year with a phone call home and perhaps treating myself to a nice bakery in town. Traveling was plenty of excitement and living abroad gift enough. Right then and there, sitting in the middle of a crowd of people I had met mere hours ago, I felt at home. Living on the farm, attending university... The rhythm soon felt familiar, even if the details were different from the life I was used to. One day, I invited Edward, a guy from my quantum mechanics class, to come and run with me. It was my last class of the day on Tuesdays, and that week I'd come into the lecture theater soaked. The fresh scent of water on pavement was so much more appealing to me than the crowded, muggy interior of the bus that I'd gotten off a few stops early and walked the rest of the way to uni. I don't mind sitting in wet clothes if it's only for a little while. I claimed a seat near the back. While I don't care much if people know that I like the rain, I've discovered that it usually comes with a few raised eyebrows. Avoiding attention was easier. No such luck. Professor Linden was still starting up his computer when Edward slid into the seat next to me. Did you get caught out in this weather too? he asked. His hair was dripping little puddles onto his desk. Yes? Only kind of a lie. We chatted for a bit and I ended up telling him that I actually liked running in the rain. He didn't seem put off by my habit, so I invited him out. I remember being nervous the night before we went running together. The rain pulls the boundaries closer, like shrinking a bubble. The woods are usually empty when it pours, and it's just me and my thoughts and the sky and the trees. 
When it rains like that, it feels like the world of the woods might go on forever. As though somewhere out there, the edge of this little pocket of trees is still connected to the vast forest it used to be, and I'm merely passing through that realm for a moment. That night, my gut felt tight, as though I was afraid that sharing the rain with someone might break the spell. True to the weather forecast, it started drizzling around noon, and by the time we hit the trails, we were surrounded by the watery world I love so dearly. It was kind of nice, running like that. He didn't try to chat much, except to ask how often I ran, how far I was thinking of running, and... Well, doesn't matter now. We took the long way round the back of the park, past the lake, which was more of a large marshy puddle with yellowed cattails. As we jogged past, birdsong accompanied by the soft quacking of ducks nesting in the reeds met us. Our feet pounded out a mismatched rhythm, his strides longer than my hummingbird-like cadence. As we ran, my mind calmed down into a familiar pattern. Making a to-do list and figuring out when I'd get my lab work done gave way to song lyrics from a music video I'd seen that morning, which eventually faded to the background of my thoughts. Just running. Rain and breath and mud and trail. Safe. We'd turned around and were on our way back when I saw a girl sitting by the side of the trail, crying. I stopped next to her, crouched down, and asked her if she was okay. She kept crying, her small form shaking. When I looked up, Edward was stopped a few paces ahead, staring. Taylor. A moment passed before he brought out the words, What are you doing? The girl, she's... There's no one there. I looked back down at the girl who sniffed and wiped her eyes with a soggy sweater sleeve, leaving tracks of dirt on her face. I reached out, but she got up and turned, running back through the woods. I was too stunned to chase her. Contrary to the first part of our run, the silence on the way back felt stifling. The woods were small, a pocket of trees, but the edge had never seemed so far away. I struggled to draw breath and felt the exhaustion growing in my legs with each stride. The dampened growling of the motorway grated on my nerves. My braid felt heavy as it tapped against my shoulders, which were starting to cramp. Tap, tap, tap like a bearer of bad news knocking on a door. Knock, knock, knock. Won't you pay attention to the things you want to avoid? When we finally reached the end of the trail, I didn't invite Edward to run the last kilometer for a cup of soup at the farm. Our parting was stiff, and before he caught the bus home, I asked if he truly hadn't seen anyone. He shook his head mutely. Edward didn't ask to come running with me again after that. I saw her again the next time I went out, asked her outright if she was a ghost. 
She said she wasn't, but I could never quite bring myself to request any of the few passers-by to confirm it for me. We spent a rainy afternoon chatting, sitting on a log by the marshy lake until I got too cold and had to go back to the farm. Her name was AJ. It sounded like she had it rough at home, didn't get along well with her dad, who was single and trying to support them with odd jobs. She seemed relieved to have someone to talk to. I guess sometimes it's easier to say something important to a stranger than to someone whose opinion matters to you. The next time I saw her, she was floating face down in the lake. I rushed into the water, icy muck splashing up to my chest. She was cold when I pulled her out. Too cold. It was so wrong. I kept shaking her and it didn't do anything and her eyes stayed closed and then, then there were hands on me. Hands lifting and guiding me. I wish I could say it was a blur, but I remember every second of my ride to the hospital. No sirens. I remember how people I didn't know came and talked to me softly. How they wrapped me in thermal blankets. How they left her lying there. Lying there in the muddy reeds. In the end, they attributed my actions to fever-induced hallucinations, but I barely hit 39 degrees. I didn't run for a while after that. Then, I saw her again. She was sitting in a cafe window seat doing homework. I went up to her. AJ? I asked. She looked up. Sorry, do I know you? She asked me. She meant it, too. I told her we'd met in the woods a few times when I was running. She said she'd been to the woods frequently a few years back, but that she couldn't remember talking to me. Looking at her, I realized that her face was slightly more defined than the one I remembered seeing in the woods. She was older than the AJ I'd so desperately pulled out of the frigid muck. I apologized and was going to leave when she shook her head and said, No worries. Things at home were a bit difficult then, so I might not be remembering correctly. I almost wanted to drown myself my dad could get so annoying, you know? She grinned like it was a joke, but it came across flat. Anyway, things are okay now. I didn't get it at first, but then it started to happen more often. I saw my host mom sleeping on the couch when she was supposed to be on a three-day business trip. I was about to tiptoe back to my room when the phone rang. Lynn's voice echoed out of the speaker letting me know she'd left a dinner for tonight in the fridge. I looked at her, the her lying on the couch, clearly not on the phone with me, and told her she sounded tired. Hmm. I was just thinking about how lovely it would be to be able to take a nap at home right now. She sighed and hung up. I went to the sleeping form on the couch. Looking closer... I saw the air around her shifting slightly. She was a bit blurred, 
like a photograph taken with the wrong shutter speed, like looking at someone through a rainstorm. I can tell them apart now, the afterimages and real people. They're living out the things people want to be doing the most. Sometimes they show up years after the person thought or felt that way. No one else seems to be able to touch them besides me. I usually ignore the afterimages, except for the moments when I'm caught off guard and react instinctively. It's hard not to jump when you hear someone start cursing out their friends right next to you. That and I'm an excellent gift giver. I see them here, in the inside sometimes, too. After images of the residents rarely appear, probably because we would all much rather be outside. There are also after images of others, but they're frozen, immobile. They give no reaction nor interaction. My hands pass through them. The only thing I feel is a slight increase in air resistance. It's like someone suspended the rooms in time and then patchworked them together. A collage of hallways and bedrooms and offices with the occasional memory of a desire captured inside. Each space is a snapshot of a moment that existed, or exists, or will exist. All those little moments are strung together, the borders glued to each other with doorways and windows and bits of drywall. I've only been running once since I arrived. I usually work as a scavenger, searching for and documenting supplies in rooms already marked down. Anyway, I thought I'd go for a run to blow off some steam. I promised to stick to the mapped areas and went out before breakfast. I started out with a jog, but as I ran, instead of the freedom I'm used to, a lightness in my legs, power in my core... The more I ran, the more the walls pressed in. I sped up, bit by bit, trying to get anywhere but here. Had the ceiling always been so low? Were the hallways really so short? Before I knew it, I was sprinting, barely avoiding the walls and corners. My lungs burned, my feet slapped the hard concrete and loud linoleum, sending unfamiliar jolts through my body. I went faster and faster, my throat and lungs and thighs and ankles and head shrieking. I hit a dead end. Literally. The world was folding me up, tucking me away, crushing me. I was sick there. It was a small comfort that there was almost no one around when I got back to the central area, and those who were didn't ask. Hannah gave me a clean set of clothes and a towel, and quietly let me know that my scavenging shift had been cancelled for the day. That was ten days ago. Time drags so slowly here. I guess that's all I have to write about. My name is Taylor Addison. I was born in California, just north of San Francisco, to Joshua and Francis Addison on July 27th, 1998. We all want to get out, but I don't think I'll be able to last much longer without the rain, the smell of trees, and the grittiness of mud. That's 
the end of uh, Taylor's writing. What strikes me, though, is that the rooms have frozen memories. Uh, she called them after images. That means that... Yeah? Hey, you seen... Oh, sorry. Hey, Nate, no worries. I was just about done. What's up? You seen Hal? Haley? No. Did you ask Karina? She doesn't know either. Seriously, that kid. Do you know where I found her last time? In a laundry basket under the stairs going up from the office next to the kitchen. Yeah, letting Hannah teach her hide-and-seek was maybe not the best option. I'm worried she'll get lost. Well, if you see her, bring her back to the main area for me, would you? Will do. The next time they put me on babysitting duty, I'm gonna break a door. (laughs) What did the door ever do to you? I hate doors. They suck. (laughs) Let's see. Uh, Right, the afterimages of other people. People who don't live here exist in the inside. That indicates that these rooms exist, or at least they did at some point, in a place and time other than this building. These hallways and closets, all the furniture, the food, it's all from the outside. If the outside can find a way in, the more information we have, the greater the chance of escape. We will get out. This episode was written by Annika Leverum and features Skylar Garfield as Nathaniel Barowich and Annika Leverum as Cassandra Baxter. The Inside is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. For more information or to get in touch, visit ochremoments.com projects.